0: In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us today is Mark Santiago, the founder of The Empowered Man. Mark is an advocate for men around the world who are living in toxic relationships. He founded The Empowered Man with the purpose of bringing to light the emotional and physical abuse inflicted upon men around the world, giving them a path towards freedom from the trauma of abuse. Mark, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. That's actually kind of old. That's funny that you read that. I was like, where did he get this bio from? But yeah, I mean, like that's literally how we started Empowered Man was from that perspective of Uh, I had endured my own abuse, et cetera, in marriage. Um, But it's funny because like now we don't even like focus on that at all. I mean, like it's part of it, but it's like, it's so far beyond that. So I'm excited to share the journey.
0: Yeah, no, it's funny you say that because I pulled that bio very last minute and I was like, oh, okay. I hope we're not just going to be focusing on all this negative and abuse and stuff. (laughs) But then when we started talking just before the show today, You were telling me a bit of a crazy story about yourself, which I'd love to hear more about, kind of talk about your background a little bit. You've obviously gone from being on food stamps to now being a very successful
1: CEO of a quickly grown
0: company, but let's go back in time and fill us in.
1: Yeah, man, I spent a lot of years trying to do the entrepreneur thing the wrong way. And I really wasted a lot of time. I learned a lot, but I also wasted a lot of time by not submitting to a process or to even like a mentor. And like, I would like open up to certain mentors like business people but I never really like fully did it. So I called like my first like 15 years of entrepreneurship was like playing in the sandbox. You know, it was like I thought I was going to be a grown up but I'm like a grown up playing in a sandbox with a bunch of kids. Not really making money, barely making enough to make it and several years through my first marriage we were on food stamps up until really like I think 6 or 7 years ago was the last time we were on it. And I just remember just the shame and the embarrassment I felt of having to have that as a way to support myself and um, support our family because I wasn't doing enough. And that literally just like started to really mess with my mind. And I'm like, man, I, I've got to increase my necessity. Like it's time to grow up. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss, but.
0: <laughs> no, it's all good. Did you have okay. a like a aha moment or like a rock bottom? Like what woke you up in that way?
1: Honestly, no. I think I literally, um, I, I will say part of the trajectory was, sort of giving up on the entrepreneur thing. Like I had multiple businesses trying to make it. Like I had a coffee shop at one point that I bootstrapped with student loan money um, and it totally failed and lost my house, lost my car. Uh, Marriage was falling apart at that point. One of the times that it ended up falling apart in the end, but it was like falling apart, everything. So I was like, let's restart. Let's go to Atlanta, move to Atlanta, you know, and get into real estate when the bubble was bursting, which was probably the dumbest thing I could have done. Try to trade stocks, lost money doing that. I mean basically I had the right intentions and the right ideas but I was out of sequence and my my level of of thinking was so broken and instead of just doing things in sequence like get a job put money in a bank account and then when you have ability to do a side hustle do a side hustle and then when you so finally if you fast forward to 2014 I was able to get a job at a nonprofit when I moved here to Phoenix um and basically I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna get a job because I'm tired of this, like trying to make it, I'm making like 45 grand a year. And like, like I just like trying to like sell websites and like bullshit. I got a job and that I think was my aha moment where it was like, oh, okay, I can do this and start a side hustle. So I started a side hustle doing like email marketing and, and whatever, because I was like my normal job. So I was like, I could sell this as a service. So I was basically trying to sell something as a service till I finally had a hit, which was an agency. And the agency like, changed everything. That was my whatever that bought that was my ticket price into getting mentorship into going, you know what, I'm tired of doing this on my own. I need help doing this. And so I paid a very dear cost for 15, 20 years of my life of trying to do shit on my own, instead of just like investing in the thing that was gonna get me to where I wanted to go.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. Because I've been the same way where my investments 10, 20, 40k for coaches mentorship has paid off. So what was it for you? where like, why, what was the resistance about? Like, why were you trying to do it on your own first? What was that? Oh, I had to
1: prove something. You know, I I grew up in a, in a, an abusive toxic family. My father was um, emotionally abusive. um, And, you know, while he had good intentions and I've worked through this in therapy and stuff, and I, I love him now, I can actually say that I loved him. He died when I was 15. And so it left a real big hole in my heart in terms of being fathered as a man. And when you don't have that, you feel like you have to prove, you have to get your validation from something. And there's so many men that that's, that's how they get their validation is through work. And some guys are just naturally really good at making money. And then there's other guys like me who like, we can be good at money. We have hope, we have potential, but we're so distracted and we're so creative and we're so like all these things. And like, I didn't do it in sequence because that stuff was boring to me. Like I didn't want to get a job and I want to work for someone. And so I just plotted along yet. I'm having kids and a family, that's that's like relying on me and so I am very hard on men now when I talk about this because I'm like sometimes you just need to get a job and and fucking work for a minute and then save up and do your side hustle then go do your business some of these 20 year olds they haven't made because they're living in their mom's basement for the next you know 13 years dating girls from tinder and have no real family anyways so it doesn't fucking matter what they do
0: yeah Yeah. So yeah. Talk a little bit about your uh, personal development in the sense of you had this experience. I, it's funny if you listen to my podcast and my story, similar situation, a lot of emotional abuse that I had to overcome. And I've talked about what I've done on other episodes, but I'm curious for you, what was that process like of realizing that there was emotional abuse, healing it? How did you kind of get through that for yourself?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it it was years and years and years of stuff. I would say it's layers and layers and layers. Um, and it probably took about 10, 15 years of solid things. Um, things like therapy, but but really like therapy that came through, not necessarily therapists, but maybe friends. Um, I was active in, in, in my church and like ministry things. Um, I also spent time doing that kind of work. Um, uh, I got a part of a, a group group There's a a guy who wrote a book called Wallet Heart named John Eldridge, got a part of that group and really was being fathered, if you will, by other men in that space. And that really helped me start to expand, you know, in what was what was done and what was being done to me. And I started just like really just journaling and started like putting the pieces together, like what my childhood was and what the wounds were and what the lies were and all those pieces. Um, And a lot of that work, I still continue on with my guys and, and showing them how they can see some of those those types of things. So it's, it's kind of a long story in terms of like all the inner pieces, but that really essentially is what I did.
0: Got it. Yeah. That's not that super helpful uh, to hear. And you know, now coming through to the other side, how did you go from the marketing agency to what you do now? <laughs> so those are very different things.
1: Funny story, right? Yeah, exactly. So like I, I was in a place where when I had my marketing agency, we were working with nonprofits and like you know, most people are like, oh, isn't that so fulfilling? And I'm like, honestly, I hated nonprofits. Like they're some of the worst clients ever. They expected a million dollars worth of work for like three grand. And, you know, it was just, it was overwhelming. And the results we got them weren't always what they wanted. Um, and, and sometimes it really wasn't even what I could produce. And I honestly kind of fell into that. So it was kind of like, it was work I was doing for the nonprofit I was working at. And then, I started speaking at nonprofit conferences. I started getting connections next to, you know, I'm working on, I can't even say some of the clients because we worked with some really, really large, well-known clients where we were contracted or subcontracted in some cases. And so we were managing like hundreds of thousands, $500,000 a month in ad spend or whatever it was doing all that. And I'm like, this isn't what I want to do. I don't even know how I got here. All I know is that at one point I'm looking at my bank account. I'm like, all right, I just bought a Tesla Model X. I got a nice house. I got kids, got a wife. I'm paid for everything. I fucking hate what I'm doing. Yeah, okay. I hate my life. Sure, I'm making 50 grand a month or whatever, but I hate what I'm doing. Um, sure, it's providing for vacations, but I don't like this. And so, as I was working through all of that, I at the same time um, started experiencing divorce. And my wife and I at the time started to separate. Um, our relationship had been broken for years, and finally everything was kind of coming to a head and things were coming out, things were, things were being talked about freely that hadn't been talked about freely. I literally just started getting my power back. I started talking with a therapist, started working through what my emotions and what I was feeling. I started just grabbing my, my own balls and saying, it's time to be honest, it's time to do some of these things. And so as I started working through that process, I was like, there has got to be something like this for other men out there. And I don't think there is. I don't think there's anything quite like what I've experienced and what I bring to the table that can help other men go through what I've grown through. And so that's where I started the idea and started playing with the concept of empowered man. And I remember even talking to my therapist about it. And we had talked about some things and like she thought it was a great idea. I was like, look, I gotta do this from a coaching perspective because I know I'm not a therapist. And so I learned how to do that. And I really started like harnessing my coaching skill, if you will. And honestly just started running ads one day and started getting clients. Um, And as we started getting clients, We've just, I just figured it out along the way. So I would meet with them one-on-one and I'd go, you know, what is going on? What do you need help with? And I would just literally, that's how I built my entire program. And a lot of it was built from the the exercise I created for myself as I went through my own healing journey. Literally, I would, at late at night, I would like do my own work. And then I'd be like, wow, that was powerful. And then I would give it to to a client or I'd give it to somebody else down the road. Yeah.
0: One of the reasons why your brand stood out to me and I wanted to have you on the show is because I'm you in that process of I was piecing it all together. I found No More Mr. Nice Guy by Robert Clover, a lot of these other books. But for me, it wasn't until I really found a community of men, which I've found in San Diego, who have the fruit I want, who have walked through this pain specifically. And so I just love your mission to help these men in the way that you kind of were able to help yourself. Um, what, so what happened with uh, you know the aftermath of that divorce? Did you get remarried? And what did you learn through that process?
1: Yeah. So I just actually got remarried in October um, to my wife, Amy, and she's actually on the team as well. So she's our director of operations and um, yeah, it's been amazing. She brought three kids to the table. I brought four. So we have seven combined.
0: That's it. You're like Elon Musk, seven kids. Come on.
1: Yeah, exactly. Four of them (laughs) under the age of 10. (laughs) Wow. But
0: but what, you know, what was different? Like what, how are you different coming into dating? How is this marriage different?
1: Oh, it's I mean it's like a 180 degree difference. Like when I got married before, I was still in my early 20s. I was 23. Um, and I had not even begun to really do the work on myself. Um, I had found sort of, I kind of used a, a crutch of faith in, in the terms of ministry and, and work there, where I started to utilize that as my relationship with God, if you will, and started building this false identity around that, meaning that I was supposed to be this person who was holy or this person who was whatever. And so, so I was living a false identity and I had no idea. Like, I thought this was what I was supposed to do. This is what I was supposed to be. This is how I was supposed to show up. This is how I was supposed to act, right? Because that's what I'd seen around me. I didn't really know who the heck I was. I didn't know who I was. Um, And so getting into my forties, it was like, finally, I'm like, dude, you got to like, like, we got to know who we are and we know we're not that anymore, are we really a business person? Are we really an entrepreneur? Like I got struggled with that. Like, am, am I an entrepreneur? I didn't feel like I was an entrepreneur until I could actually make money, right? But even though I had it in me, it was like, but I don't know if I am. I don't really know. I doubt it. You know? So I went through all that journey. And, and as I did all the work and, and stuff, when I was dating, I even tried to break up with my current wife, tried to break up with her. Cause I was like, I don't, I'm not ready yet. And like, I, w- I was still early on and in, in some of my process. And, and she really fought for me through that. She just really like showed up and was like, you know, I get that maybe you're still early in some of those things, but I'm willing to wait. I just want you to give us a chance. And it was like, wow, that was so different from what I was used to, right. you know, the toxic stuff that I had attracted into my life. But here's the thing I tell guys all the time, especially those of being been through divorce, is that you have to understand what you attracted before cannot be what you attract again. Right. Not to say that your ex-wife is evil or bad or whatever. I don't care what your wife has done, but there was obviously things in that marriage that were broken and that you played or contributed part to. So if you want to attract someone better, you have to do the inner work to attract someone better. You have to, to become attract- better. Exactly.
0: Yeah. You can't just 100%. say, "Oh, you know, she was abusive, cheated, unhealthy, toxic." <laughs> yeah. Oh, what's that?
1: That's called the "she" button. So when a guy <laughs> when a guy hits that, that's what we do. Stop hitting the fucking "she" button yeah. because it's not about she; it's about me. Yeah, it's ownership
0: versus blame. Yep. Yeah. That's good. Um, so yeah, so what's, so what's, uh, what are you typically seeing nowadays in terms of like, well, when did you start empowered man?
1: 2020 the, the, during the pandemic.
0: Wow. So yeah. What have you been seeing for men through uh, not only what's going on with men in our society, but through COVID as well.
1: As far as what, what do you mean?
0: No, I mean, what are the biggest problems that people are coming to you with the biggest
1: conflicts, the things that you're helping them overcome. Yeah. So I have this training I do on called internal pain versus external pain. Most men come to me with external pain. She's doing this. This is what's happening. My life is is in shambles. My wife is leaving. My wife is cheating me, blah, 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 blah. That's all what I call external pain. So we help them funnel that external pain into the understanding of what is really the internal pain that they've never actually dealt with. So the marriage is the struggle, but it's not the struggle the real struggle is the man because the man has always had the same issues his whole life. He's just never dealt with them.
0: So when, when you're working with a man, like what, what does your process typically look like? Do you have a structured approach or is it case by case? Everyone's different.
1: Yeah, it's super structured. Um, so like, for example, our thrive program, it's a 90 day program. It is assignments every single day. And excuse me, <clears throat> I'm getting over the bit. Um, or whatever I had, something Omicron, Delta, Variant—I don't know what I had. Anyways, um, or maybe it was just the flu because we do have that still. Apparently this year we have the flu again. Uh, I got uh, a
0: bad non-COVID flu a
1: few weeks ago. Rocked yep. me. Yep, it's going around. Um, so yeah, it's a super structured program in the sense that we found we found that men need help in three main areas when it comes to this issue. Number one is communication. So we call it diffusing the power your wife has over you. The reason the wife has power over them is because men don't know how to articulate what they feel. They don't even know what they feel. And so there's all this emotional discombobulation inside of them. So we help them make sense of it. Then we help them articulate it in a way that makes sense, in a way that is clear, concise, to the point. And we help them set boundaries with that. And those boundaries ultimately lead them to um, having a good relationship or a better relationship. Whether they get back together or not is not our focus. Our focus is not on saving the marriage. It's on saving the men. Mm, that's
0: good. I, so, Yeah. So when you say boundaries, like what specific boundaries are they setting with your help?
1: Well, so it just depends on the situation, but we have this concept we call neutral woman. And so that is if your wife is pulled out of the marriage says, I don't love you. I don't want to be with you anymore. Um, you know, I've cheated on you and, and I'm done, or I don't know if I want to be with you anymore. We teach this concept called neutral woman, and that is to treat your wife basically as if she's a woman that you just met at the grocery store. Mm. She's not someone you're going to go to and ask for sex. She's not someone you're going to with flowers. She's not someone you're going to cling to and beg to come back to the marriage or any of those things. You're kind to her, you're friendly to her, but you're not friends with her. She's no longer a safe space for you to give emotional compliments and all this stuff. Oh, baby, you're so amazing. Oh, you're so sexy. Oh, I love you. I just miss you so much. All that shit has to go out the window. And this is where a lot of guys make mistakes because they think, well, she said I wasn't romantic, so I got to be romantic. No, that's not what she's saying now. That was three months ago. Now what she's saying is she's done. And you have to treat her as if she's done. Now, we don't talk about being mean. We don't, you know, cuss behind her back. We don't do any of those things. But we create what we call the vacuum effect that usually, a lot of times, actually gets her to lean back into the marriage. Because now you're not trying to persuade her to be with you. You're respecting her boundaries by creating boundaries for yourself. Boundary number one, I'm not going to say I love you anymore. Boundary number two, I'm not going to do this anymore. Boundary number three, I'm not going to do this anymore. So those boundaries are not just for her, but also for yourself. Men, have, men don't know anything about boundaries because we're not taught boundaries. Girls are taught boundaries. Don't touch me, play safe, be away from me, right? We're always protecting girls. But boys, it's like, yeah, whatever, just rip off your clothes and run around naked, right? Like boys don't have boundaries. They burp, they fart, they do all those things. They don't have boundaries. So we have to teach men how to have boundaries for themselves so they don't get their heart rocked over and over and over again by someone who especially is cheating on them or someone who's just completely out of love with them because they've chosen to end the marriage. Men have these ego issues that get in the way and they go, I can't fathom that somebody would actually not want to be with me anymore. And so I tell them like, look, it's your ego that is getting in the way. And that's really hard for us to hear.
0: But really necessary to hear too. Yeah. What, what percentage of the guys you work with are married versus, I mean, do you work with people who are single and dating? Cause I feel like this would be hugely valuable
1: for any man. You know, I, I wish we had more of those. It's rare. Um, occasionally we'll get somebody who's engaged, but most of the time these guys aren't willing to, guys who are dating aren't willing to invest in themselves because they don't see the cost. Right? They haven't Many,
0: experienced as much pain yet.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and but- somebody who's been married for 10 years and has three kids and has, you know, a life together and vacations they've done together. They have memories, years and years of memories that they are so flooded with emotion over. Whereas a guy who's been dating for a year or two and she left him, she left him. He's like, I'll just go find another girl. I'll just swipe right again. Like that's the mentality of a lot of people who are just dating. And our program is, is perfect for any man who wants to be in a relationship because you're going to learn things that will have you will help you have a great relationship, but you got to understand the cost and you got to understand what it possibly is saving you from down the road.
0: So you said there are three components, right? There's this First part, the communication.
1: Diffusing yeah, the, the, the power that she has over you just comes through communication boundaries. The second part is what we call ownership. Um, when a man can finally own his shit, he can release the pain. I'll say it again. When he can own his shit, he can release the pain. If you can't own your shit, you'll never release the pain.
0: How, yeah. And how do you get that? Is there a part of what you do with these men to help them take ownership? and? 100%.
1: Yeah. That is actually my favorite part of the program. Um, there are exercises in there where guys will come away doing that exercise and go, I went through three years of therapy and it didn't give me that much clarity and that much breakthrough and what that one assignment did. Because it's so simple. It's so to the point. It's so to the heart of what matters. And, you, and the, the reframe, the beauty of, I mean, I can't even give myself credit. I would say it was God inspired. Like I cannot literally give myself credit for what I created in that. Um, in that, in that room. And um, I've had other therapists look at it because it's not therapy. We don't therapize anybody, but I've had people look at it with a therapy background. And they're like, wow, that is powerful. Right. And so when these men do those exercises, some of them are so simple, but just the simplicity of it alone keeps it focused on the one thing that is important. And that is for them to own their shit. It's also for them to understand what has happened. Big picture. We have this thing we call truth serum. They have to do it for like a whole week. And it's literally where they drink the truth serum of what is actually going on. Here's what we found. Probably, I can't even put a number on it. I would say 95 to 99% of men that come through my funnel or come into my environment, my ecosystem are lying to themselves. And I would probably say that's the same number outside in the world, period. Men lie to themselves. They're lying to themselves about the state of their marriage, their, their state of their job, the state of their finances. The are they state telling of themselves it's their... better than it actually is? Exactly. Yeah. And so what they do is they lie to themselves so that when they get on the phone with me, they're lying to me and they cannot be fully on. So I have to literally slap them around a little bit sometimes. And, and, and that's why if you listen to my podcast and power Day F, you'll hear how I'm very aggressive in certain aspects because they need to wake the fuck up and understand that what they're saying and what they're doing is not matching up. There is not a congruency between what you see here and what is actually happening. Listening to, you know, a guy yesterday on a call with one of our team members. And he was talking about how, you know, his wife has hormone problems and all this stuff is going on. And, and my advisor's like, dude, you're working 90 hours a week. Do you think you're actually showing up for your wife? Cause you're blaming it on her hormones. No, what it is, is that man's scared. He's scared of his wife and doesn't know how to lean into her anger, her pain because he hasn't dealt with his own trauma. A man who hasn't dealt with his own trauma has nothing to give to a marriage. He literally has nothing to give, especially to a woman who has broken herself and has nothing herself. Now I'm not, I'm not advocating we should be with toxic women, but women are allowed to have emotions and not just, just because they cry or just because they got angry, doesn't mean they're toxic or bipolar, right? So many guys are like wanting to label girls right away. Oh, she's bipolar. Oh, she's, I, my ex had BPD. Like I know what it is. It's real. It's legit. And that shit's hard, but I tried and I tried and I tried, right? Like at some point though you have to you have to understand that it's not about her it's about you
0: so one thing that i'm personally curious about because me and my sales team we're doing a lot of sales now for our own programs that we're offering and it's that balance of you know when do you sl- slap someone around on a sales call because they actually need that versus you're being too aggressive so what does that look like and how do you think about you know when does that
1: serve yeah. the man to really come on to them and how do you do that yeah i i really think That's a great question. Um, The way I frame it for my sales team is what do you need to get out of this guy right now with where he's at in the conversation? Like big picture context, where are we at in the conversation? If We're in discovery. We're trying to understand what he's going through, what is happening. And he's not showing emotion. He's showing disconnection. That means he's telling you the same story he's been telling himself and other people for the last several months. So if a man's disconnected to the story he's telling you, he's not actually feeling it in his bones. Therefore, it's really hard to get him to buy anything because he doesn't even know that he has a problem. He's just repeating the same shit over and over and over and over again. So what I have to do is go ask him questions that are poignant that get him to a place where he sees that stuff. Now, I will say earlier on in my sales career at Empowered Man, I was way more aggressive than I probably am today, meaning I would get really almost defensive or get almost like posturing because I was like, no, you must listen to what I'm saying. Now, what I've learned is the art of asking the right questions. But I've also learned the art of feeling out where this guy is and knowing, do I need to take this guy deeper? Can I get him deeper? And if I can't get him deeper, then I need to give him homework and get off this call because he's not ready to actually make a buying decision today. And this is what I deal with is so different from what most people deal with because they are in the midst of shit. So they come to me a lot of times on fire, like crying or whatever. We have had suicidal, we have all kinds of leads that come in every day where they've got all kinds of issues.
0: It's funny you say that because when I started investing in myself with sales coaching, for example, so much of it is the one call close and be more assertive. And and what I've noticed is there are times where I am not assertive enough, but there are also times where I'm pushing too hard and learning that
1: push pull dynamic. You know, I think it really comes back to what is going to serve this man the best. Yeah. That's what I always tell my team. I'm like, look, the end of the day, if you served him and you pushed him because you felt like this was the best thing for him and he got mad, he hung up and left, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't have a problem with that. However, if you knew he wasn't ready and in a position to buy and you pushed and you pushed and you pushed and, you pushed and he got mad at you, that's a problem because that's unethical sales in my opinion. I, I don't want that on my team. Right. I would much rather it be from this guy needs this and I'm fighting, I'm going to bat for him. I'm not going to bat with, uh, against him. And that's, that's the mentality that I try to get my team to take on is that we are here not to fight against you, but to fight with you. Yeah, that's good. So what's the third category? Third category, becoming CEO of your own life. Leadership. Leadership, leadership, because we've seen a lot of men just don't have leadership. They might have leadership at work, but they don't have personal leadership. Most men have zero, like, they don't do uh, any journaling. They don't do any book reading. They're not doing any personal development. They're not doing anything for themselves Other than, you know, scrolling through Facebook and Twitter and TikTok now and, you know, watching football and like, I do those things too, but like I'm reading books, I'm writing journaling, I'm, I'm doing daily routines of my check-ins with myself and whatever I'm, I'm measuring my sleep. I'm, I'm, I'm tracking everything with with the weight room and like got goals for how much I want to lift and like things like that. Most men don't have that at all. So in the leadership phase, what we're doing is we're helping them start to set up a future that is with or without the wife because ultimately what i want a man to do is become so fucking attractive his wife's like oh i want to be with you again that's the man i miss
0: or yeah and then okay go ahead yeah or
1: he's like oh hell to the fuck no i don't want anything to do with that functional stuff you're all communicating all healthy and stuff i don't want anything to do with that that happens too
0: well that's and that's from no more mr nice guy too where he says when you do the work one of two things is going to happen. You're going to have a full incredible restoration of your marriage, or it's going to come to a long overdue end because you've grown and she didn't want you to. And then you're going to attract someone healthier.
1: I've never read the book, but there you go. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's a a good, book. I mean, it got me started in all of this work that I didn't even know was out there. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Robert Glover. He came on the show too. Great dude. Awesome. Yeah, man. So, you mentioned journaling a couple of times. I'm curious, uh, the format, cause that can kind of mean an, any number of things, but f- for you and the men you advise, what's the best approach for that?
1: So everyone's got a different approach. Um, I, over the years, my journaling has changed a lot. I would say, um, I do a lot of drawing out diagrams. I do a lot of like expressional things because I'm an extrovert. And so like, I likes to, I like to extrovert things, extrovertize things and and get it out of my system and what I'm feeling, etc. And like breaking things down. Um, I used to write them, I would say more like prayers and like, this is what I'm feeling God and and like use that as a format that worked really well for me for a long time, especially when I was younger in my faith and stuff. Um, but over the years, it's kind of evolved into its own, its own sort of thing. So, um, I wouldn't say I have a particular format. Uh, Joey was my lead coach. He teaches that part in our, in our program actually does a really good job of teaching it from his perspective. Um, he has like an NLP background and all that stuff. So.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, you've mentioned sex a little bit earlier, I believe I'm curious, you know, how you handle the situation with a man who is Mark, you know, she's not giving me sex, right? Like it's again yeah. like the blame, You know, is that something that you cover and how do you typically approach that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, again, what what we focus on more is is the framework for making decisions and for dealing with stuff than we do with giving specific advice. And not to say we don't give advice, but we are less focused on advice and more focused on coaching. Like true coaching is not consulting. Most people get this wrong. They think that a coach is supposed to tell you what to do. No, a coach is supposed to get out of you what is inside of you already. What do you want? How do I gain clarity? How do you set goals? How do you move towards those goals? That's all it is. One of the best coaching books I ever read was called The Coaching Habit. And it was it was all about how not to give advice. And so we teach that framework to our coaches so that they're using that as their specific way of doing things. Because one man can, like I have guys coming all the time and go, should I get a divorce? I don't know well, should I divorce this person? I don't know. Why why are you asking me? And if somebody tells you, oh, tell me, why why should you divorce her? Well, she cheated on me. She did all this. Oh, you definitely should divorce her. Like what? Who the fuck are you to tell another person to get divorced? Like you have no authority in that person's life to tell them that. They're asking, they're giving us authority to tell them. I say, look, at the end of the day, I cannot make the decision for you because you have to live with it. If I tell you to divorce her and it was a mistake, you're gonna have to live with that for the rest of your life and you're gonna blame me. That's not the role I'm going to play in your life. Mm -hmm. That's codependency. And I'm not going to be there for you. So I have a boundary. And that boundary says, I will never tell a man whether or not he should get a divorce. What I will do is help him see the bigger picture and look at where things are and help him see, okay, here's what has happened. Here's the truth serum. Is she doing these things to come back to the marriage? No. How long are you willing to wait? What is that based on? What are you, are you doing this for the kids or not? If you're doing it for the kids, here's why that's a bad idea. You need to do it for yourself because you want to stay married to this person because you believe in this person. You believe in the potential of this marriage. And a lot of guys, they end up making the decision for themselves and they wouldn't have before because 80% of marriages are filed for divorce by the wife, not the man. And they finally make that decision to end this toxic relationship. Me doing that was one of the biggest things I could have ever done for my own growth. For you doing what? Filing for divorce. I so you filed, yeah. I filed for divorce. I ended it because it was done and it needed to be done. There's no way my ex-wife would have done it. I won't get into any of the stories. I always try to keep her stuff is what it is, right? Why um, is it 80% the woman? I think men just don't have the balls to do it. Women, it takes up to two to three years before a woman is ready to file for divorce. Men only file for divorce when they find out their wife is cheating on them. Mm. Because it's all ego. It's all possession. She's my possession. And now she's been possessed by another man. Another penis has been inside of her. Therefore, she's no longer my possession. Therefore, I'm divorcing her. For a woman, a, w- a woman can be cheated on and still stay with the man. What a woman divorce the man over is the lack of emotional connection. When emotional connection goes away, there is nothing left in that bucket and is dry. She will divorce your ass.
0: So how does a man create that emotional connection with a woman without being feminized and too emotional? Is there like a balance there or are those different things?
1: hundred percent. Now I would say that my personality type leans more towards uh, nurture emotional stuff because I developed it. I'm more of a creator, creative type, but I also developed it, but I also have a very healthy masculine side as well that just meshes. Um, and there are guys that call me beta because I say that a woman is like, it's like healthy for you to have conversations. Like I get called shit all the time on ads. It's hilarious. Like if you ever want to get a kick out of something, just go troll my ads. Just look at some of this troll stuff I get on there. All yeah. the, the the fun comments. Um, but no, seriously, the, the thing is for for a man is in order for him to have emotional connection with a woman, he has to have emotional connection with himself. Right. There's no way you can have emotional connection with a woman unless you have that. So you have to start there. And starting there just looks like just being honest with yourself. What am I actually feeling? Being present, mindfulness, right? Like those types of exercises and things that are out on YouTube that you can just go and do. Like, who, what, what am I feeling right now? What am I feeling in my life? Where am I not feeling happy? Where am I feeling good? All those types of things. And then coming to the, to the, to the marriage or to the wife, the emotional connection just looks like just being there for her. Shut the fuck up. Don't, you don't have to say anything. Just be there for, honey, I'm here for you. How was your day? What came up for you today? One of my favorite questions to ask a girl is what made you smile today? Oh man, they'll open up. They'll tell you, well, this thing happened and this thing happened whatever. Like asking those types of questions and then just with body intent, phone down, not near you and just looking in and just laughing and listening. And then when she starts telling you about something that was really hard, you're just like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. What did you do? how did you respond? I'm not being feminine. I'm not, Hey, how's it going? You know, I'm not doing anything (laughs) that's feminizing. I'm just like, wow, that's crazy. Oh my gosh, babe. That's tough. Wow. That must've been hard for you to to experience, but I can't do that. If I don't have empathy for myself, I can't have empathy for her. Mm -hmm. So we teach those in our thrive program, specifically empathetic listening, reflective listening skills uh, in there. We call them power statements, power triangles, uh, setting, setting the narrative, like all those pieces so that a guy can like literally have, it's like the first four weeks is so practical. It's unreal. Where it's like, you have practical things you're getting so that you can like, boom, boom, have a conversation. These guys are like blue collar workers with like boots and shit. And they're like, man, I just dropped a power statement with my wife. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, and we have them do it on video and leave it in the group. And they're like, well, guys, this is the power statement I just said, you know, and it's just like, Go Billy
0: Bob, go. <laughs> oh man, it's it's so good. I mean, so one question I have is, you know, and this is like not for everyone probably, but just as scaling your company, me scaling my company, I'm getting pulled into like I see so much opportunity to just continue to work and watch the next training video and do more, make more money, and it's been a little challenging to set all that aside when it's so exciting and fun and rewarding. Yes. Oh, okay. I'm going to go journal and seek God's heart and do all this stuff, which I'm always doing to some degree, but I know that like it's still out of proportion a little bit. Yep. And so how, I mean, how do you personally, when you see the, okay, let me hire one more closer, let me drive up the ads. Let me do a little bit more work versus the balance.
1: So I always say this and, and yeah, like this is a great question for for those of us in the scaling of businesses, et cetera. Um, and, and really for our particular, I would say coaches, content creators, it's probably gonna be different if you're like, know, you run a gas station or something. I don't know. (laughs) You're not really doing sales, right? You're like manning the store and inventory. But with with what we do, I I felt like, and and just really through probably mentors and such, sales and marketing are like the number one thing, right? If I don't have sales and marketing, I don't have a business. I don't have clients. I don't have anything else. So for me, it was like, when I started, I did everything, obviously. At one point, I had 30 clients and one half-time sales guy and me selling full-time and you know, we're doing a good amount of, a good amount of revenue. Right. And I was like, I want to build out a team, et cetera. So I got to a place where I feel I've realized I have to figure out what my strength is to the business and what I bring the most power in. And for us, that's sales and marketing. And I have to own that a hundred percent. I did not do that for the first year of the business. I mean, I did it for probably the first three, four months, but then eventually I passed it off to someone else. Cause I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to be on calls. I didn't want to do call reviews. I didn't want I didn't to do any of that. And so now I live by a structure that there are certain things that are nice to haves, and there are certain things that are need to haves. So right now, if I look at my team, I go, okay, we're trying to scale to 250 a month. Um, in order for that to happen, these are the things that have to happen. We have to have more calls. And, we, and looking at, we do the KPIs thing. I don't know if you do the KPIs that uh, yeah. that uh, Cole has in the... Um, Yeah. So yeah,
0: yeah. We have KPI tracking for our calls, closes and everything.
1: you do the, do you do the, um, the, the one he gave in the, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the training it was in. He's got one where it basically breaks down everything like in one little Google sheet and it's not the tracker at all. It's like your upfront closes, your, your cash collected. And it's like one little thing. So I do that every month and I send that into Cole and I send that into my account manager, um, obviously we're talking about a company that we work with. Yeah, yeah.
0: Cole, Cole Gordon is a, yeah. a sales and consulting coach. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I send that into him and I say, okay, tell me, you know, what do you, what are you seeing on here? Like, why is our upfront cash collected this hard part, but our, our closing rate is this part. Like, what are you seeing in this? And so I'm literally just evaluating the business on, uh, and, and this is the way Cole does it. There's a book called the goal. I don't have it with me right here. I don't see it. It's called the goal and it's, it's, um, Elliot, Oh man, it's an old school business management book, and it's a story one. But it's the idea of optimization. But it's from it's uh, the, sorry, it's called the Theory of Constraints. There you go, Theory of Constraints.
0: I read that in business
1: school. The yes. Bradley guy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So did I. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. what's funny was like knowing that I've got an MBA, <laughs> and and here Eliot Goldrat, Eliyahu Goldrat, that's his name. Yeah. Um, and and here Cole is who didn't go to school for business, and he's like mentioning that, and I'm like, oh shit, I should have remembered that. So that's now how I operate my business. So everything, when I come in on a daily basis, I usually have one main thing that I'm supposed to do that day. That's it. Just one thing. If I do that one thing, everything else should be fine, right? And if I don't do that one thing, I probably didn't accomplish what I needed to accomplish that day. I'm very much a Enneagram three. I'm very much like a high achiever, like go, go, go. We're always achieving stuff. So I used to do the same thing. I would get super lost in all the stuff. Like we had a low ticket challenge We had like all these things. We had like another one and like, and like all these products. I'm like, but yeah, we're not making any more money. That was because the fundamentals were not solid. And so once I got rid of, like I cut one of the products, kept the one that was actually working really well, up the price of our back end product, fixed the sales delivery on that. So it was like just looking at those things and going, what are the things that if I fix that now are going to have the greatest impact? Those are the levers I want to pull right now
0: yeah no, that's good and, and kind of where i'm at is needing a team like need, like i'm burning out closing setting like you know just doing everything so you know is it is an hour best spent taking one more closing call
1: or recruiting to get a closer right so being yeah more that's efficient. hard because like in the beginning it's like you just need cash you just need to keep putting yeah. cash in the bank right and, and save um but you know with like you know their team they just they do the recruiting and so we hired them for recruiters for the recruiting. And that was great too, because they know that that process is, is not meant to be like an ongoing, like long-term thing, but what it does is it gives you systems and process and puts in place with people that have a little bit of experience. So now it's like, now I can go find people that have no experience, train them, ramp them up and get them going. And so that's kind of the phase we're in now, where it's like, okay, now we have like seven people on the team and we're like growing. And it's like, now we can actually take people who are untrained train them in our methodology this is how we sell this is how we close and boom 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 they're going to get them closing yeah man that's good
0: so uh cool i appreciate you sharing all this i guess one one like towards the end question i was going to ask is you know what do you see the men who step into your program and really do the work what are some examples of what you're seeing on the other side of either marriage restoration or rebirth like what are some of the wins you've been seeing in the past year
1: yeah, I would say the the biggest thing I see all the time is men are no longer in pain. I mean, that that answers the thing right there, right? They come to us lost. They feel like 10-year-old boys with hairless nuts. And now they have their balls back. They have their power, their freedom back. Um, many of them don't restore the marriage because many of the, the, the marriages are so toxic, though, especially if the wife doesn't want to play her part. Yes. And you, you can't make it happen. Here's what's funny. I'll I'll just share this with you guys. Uh, I I posted this in my Facebook group and I said, trigger warning. So there's no such thing as bad marriages, only bad husbands. And that triggered the fuck out of some
0: guys. But I believe it, man. One of the uh, pastors at the church um, in San Diego I've been to said, uh, your wives are a product of your husbandry. Yeah.
1: It's just extreme ownership. That's, yeah. that's all it is. And it's not to say that she doesn't play a part. She, but that's, and that's the thing is just funny because like they get like super bent out of shape. And I'm like, look, at the end of the day, your wife definitely plays a part in the relationship. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah. if you own it and you just own the shit that you have control over, those things either fade away or those things get so strong that this doesn't make sense anymore. Let's part right. ways. Right.
0: Yeah. So much of the question is what should I do? Should I stay? It's her yeah. fault versus just, Put that aside, do your work, stay in your lane, and it'll play out.
1: Yeah, we actually have a training on that we call the optimal path forward. And it helps them assess what the actual optimal path forward is based on certain principles and such. Um, the other thing I see too, like we do see restorative marriages. Um, we see guys in our program uh, start new businesses together. We have guys that become friends from states across the country and like they fly out and they end up hanging out together and they just become really strong friends. Like the, the community, while it is a currently a, a virtual community has become really strong. Um, there's so many guys that come in and go, I had no idea that there were other men dealing with what I'm dealing with right now. So the purpose of empowered man is to eradicate loneliness and inauthenticity in man.
0: Dude, that's the mission. I mean, that, and that's what people need. Like, this is so necessary in 2022 in our society, yeah. the lack of strong, integrated, healthy men.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we don't we don't even know what that looks like anymore. I mean, our generation like I I don't know how old you are but like our generation has definitely gotten like the last bit of it and I can't even imagine like my kids their generation like they don't even know what a healthy family like they don't even know what a family dynamic is anymore.
0: I think it's so, you know, if you look at the Gen Zs and below, it's so disintegrated. People aren't getting married anymore. Everything's TikTok, Tinder, casual sex. Yeah. Lack of commitment, lack of leadership, lack of all that integrous masculinity that you want.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's sad. Our world needs strong men, strong leaders. Um, we're, we're hoping to get into the political space and do things there. We have one of our guys is a a political consultant and we're in talks with, you know, hopefully doing some things in the political atmosphere. I would love to be able to work with candidates who are getting ready to go into office and go through some of our training so that when shit is hitting them, they're not off having an affair. They're yes, not off.
0: The sexual dysfunction because they haven't handled their ish and then have a healthy framework. So they're manifesting it and acting out with women or doing whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dude.
0: That's awesome. So, you know, there's a lot of people I'm sure who want to hear more from you, either your podcast or learn more about this program you have. How can they find
1: it? Yeah, a couple of different ways. My podcast, you can find an Apple, Spotify, whatever. It's called Empowered AF. Um Empowered AF. Uh you can go. We've got a 30 day challenge. If you are um, a guy that's like you just want to kind of get started with something, get some good content. Um it's like 47 bucks. It's emchallenge.com. EM Challenge.com. Uh, we got a Facebook group that's free. So if you got no money, go to the Facebook group. It's empoweredman.co slash group. Empoweredman.co slash group. Um and uh within there, like we have, you know, we have lead magnets, we know we have things where you can opt in for stuff. Like if you want to get connected that way, you can find it. Um, otherwise, I, otherwise, I have too many websites I'm going to list off here. <laughs> but, but the challenge I think is like the best place for guys to just start because it's so cheap and it's like four weeks of coaching. Like literally you get group coaching once a week for four weeks plus uh, content every single day that's going to help you like move through everything. So that's the place I always push guys. Like Especially if you're like new to all this and you're like not even sure what's going on. Or maybe you don't even think your marriage is that bad but you're just like wanting to see and like wanting to see you get better that's a great place to start for a low investment
0: yeah and it can never i mean i'm just even thinking about this as someone who's single currently like it can never hurt to do this work no matter where you're at take a relationship from a 9 to a 10 like
1: how yeah. could it hurt a man to go through and do this work yeah no <laughs> and we and we have to continue to do it i continue to do it yeah i like if anybody my wife says i married the empowered man you know and so that i take that with like all integrity of I better be the empowered man every day of my life.
0: Yeah. Well, you're holding yourself through your business to a very high standard in a good way that kind of forces that continued growth and work. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Mark Santiago from empowered man. Thanks again so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Brendan Burns show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple podcast app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.